Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Today's message is entitled, What Prayer Asks of Us? And the text is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And in this text, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to let God's Word instruct us and set the priorities for our prayers. There's an old saying about from the rabbis. It goes like this. He who prays within his house surrounds it with a wall that is stronger than iron. We live in a time when prayer is needed more than ever. Prayer for ourselves, our family and friends, our communities, our country, and our world. If prayer is needed more than ever, then we could benefit from the prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples and to the masses that taught them how to pray. And so we're going to take a few moments and look at the Lord's Prayer. This prayer appears both in Matthew and in Luke, and while they have differences, they both have the same purpose. This prayer calls God's people to pray a different kind of prayer than what most people pray. Resounding throughout the Lord's Prayer is a call for us to put our own priorities aside and depend less on ourselves. The Lord's Prayer invites us to make God's priorities our own and to depend upon Him. This prayer asks us to leave our own small world and step with faith into God's kingdom. So what is prayer anyway? Before we get into the Lord's Prayer itself, we would do well to take a moment and examine what prayer actually is. And I often describe prayer in very simple terms, simply saying this, it's about talking to God. It's about having a relationship with God. Beware of overcomplicating prayer. Not because beautifully worded prayers are bad, but because we can get caught up on the words of our prayers more than we do about actually drawing near to God. I have been, I've seen so many people paralyzed about what words they should pray uh, that they seem to experience tremendous fear and anxiety about prayer. We also seem to beat ourselves up about prayer. We'll say things like, well, I was too distracted when I tried to pray today, and, and I, I, I forgot to pray today. Boy, I, I, I should just give up. Hear this, and hear this clearly. Prayer is about your relationship with God. And like all relationships, your relationship with God is healthier when you spend time with Him when you talk to him, and when you listen to God's voice. When you stop talking to a friend, you open up the opportunity to make assumptions about what they're thinking, and they're not always good. And the same thing happens with our relationship with God, so we need to spend time with him and connect to him. I'm a fan of Henry Nouwen. In particular, I have a book on prayer entitled The Only Necessary Thing. It's a collection of Nouwen's writings on prayer. And every year or so, I spend some time with that book reflecting on prayer to kind of get a refresher, a rejuvenation. And now, and in the beginning of the book, reframes prayer in a way that I think might be helpful to you and to me when we think about prayer. And he says this, prayer is, first, us reaching out to God. And secondly, he says, it's Jesus dwelling with us, and and he dwelling not just with us, but in us. And he talks about John 15, 5, where it says, Jesus is saying, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. There it's Jesus in us. Thirdly, he says, prayer is the Holy Spirit praying in us and through us. 
talking about from Romans 8, 26, where it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What, when we do not know what we ought to pray for, the Holy Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. And fourthly, he says, prayer is living. It is not a dull, dead thing. It is life. Here's a quote from Henry now, and I really like it. It says, prayer is leading every sorrow to the source of all healing. It is letting the warmth of Jesus' love melt the cold anger of resentment. It is opening a space where joy replaces sadness, mercy supplants bitterness, love displaces fear, gentleness and care overcome hatred and indifference. But most of all, prayer is the way to become and remain part of Jesus' mission to draw all people to the intimacy of God's love. I love that quote. Prayer is a radical reorientation away from our own selfishness into a humbleness before God. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. And before we read the Lord's Prayer itself, I want to read a few words that Jesus speaks just before and just after this prayer. So we're going to first read Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, and then verses 14 and 15. And the text reads like this. Jesus is speaking. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then we're going to move down to verses 14 and 15 that read like this. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. As much as Jesus teaches us to pray... He also teaches us how to not pray, what to avoid, what to steer clear of. We need these warnings because as we draw near to God in prayer, we also draw near to our desire to be like God. Our humanity constantly tries to put us in the position of power during prayer. And Jesus' warnings help us to put aside the need to be in control. He cautions us against needing the approval of others, of valuing words over friendship, of, of withholding forgiveness from others. So we're going to look at these three warnings that Jesus gives here real quickly. And the first warning is this. He says, beware of the approval of others. Jesus teaches his followers how to pray at a time when the culture was loaded with prayer. Israel was filled with the practice of prayer. There were three public times of prayer a day when the people would go to the temple, to the local synagogue, or they'd just stop where they were and they would pray pre-planned written prayers. Life stopped so that these prayers could happen. You dropped whatever you're doing to pray. Prayer was everywhere, but there was a problem with prayer. Prayer had become less about drawing near to God and had become more about getting what you wanted or, or showing others that you were good at prayer. On the one side, you had those who prayed elaborate long prayers publicly to get noticed by the crowd. And on the other side, you had those who often used repeated prayers like magic words to try to man manipulate what they wanted from their pagan gods. The theater of prayer was becoming too important to everyone. 
And this is why Jesus speaks a word that no one likes, at least not when it's used against themselves. Hypocrite. Let's look at that word hypocrite for a moment. Hypocrites were originally actors on the Greek stage in the time of Jesus. They were actors, Greek actors, who wore many different masks on their faces to play several different characters. So you may have just a couple of actors, two or three actors, but they might each have four or five masks. And when they're wearing a certain mask, you know they're supposed to be this particular character. And then they switch the mask to be a different person. A hypocrite was someone playing a person that they were not, an actor. Now, we use the word today not to refer to actors, but to any person who puts on a false face for approval. Hypocrisy lacks genuineness, and when it's discovered, it sucks all the power out of the moment. I think you know what that feels like if you've seen it in someone else. In Jesus' day, a hypocrite was someone who positioned themselves to get noticed. The act of praying isn't the problem. It's the concern over being seen that became the problem. Prayer became a way to rank a person among others. Oh, look, they're really good at prayer. Look how, look how noticeable they are. They're standing and they're, they're looking up to God on the street corner. They're, they're amazing. They're, and they're seen by others. And so we elevate them because of how they appear to pray. And we do the same thing today. There are those who value prayer as a show to please others. And beware of that. Whenever you see someone who prays as a show for others, prayer becomes dangerous when it is more for those around you who will hear it than being about the relationship between you and God. Beware of the person who prays to please and impress others. When something is done more for show for others, it loses its power. During one of his political campaigns, a delegation called on Theodore Roosevelt at his home in Oyster Bay, Long Island. The president met with them with his coat off and his sleeves rolled up. His, ah, gentlemen, he said, come down to the barn and we'll talk while I do some work. At the barn, Roosevelt picked up a pitchfork and looked around for the hay. Then he called out, John, where's all the hay at? And John said, sorry, sir. I hadn't had time to toss it back down after you pitched it back up here from the Iowa folks while they were visiting. It's amazing what we will do to impress and get others' attention. Praying as a show for others has another dangerous side. And this is one I I really want you to hear. Do not be a person who is afraid to pray because of what others will think. While I very much understand the weight of opinions of those around you, praying to impress or refusing to pray to avoid embarrassment are very close cousins. In the end, Jesus wants our prayers to be offered in private. Not always literally in private, but our prayers should be between us and God, unhindered by what people around us think of our prayers. Let's go on to Jesus' second warning. Beware of valuing words over relationships. I love what John Stott writes on the issue of prayer. He says, avoid hypocrisy and vain repetition. Hypocrisy is the misuse of the purpose of prayer. Verbosity is the misuse of the nature of prayer. When we abuse the purpose of prayer, we try to force it for our benefit and spiritual standing with others. And when we abuse the nature of prayer, the verbosity, we dismantle the relationship involved and make prayer more about the word spoken to God than to the whom the God we are praying to. 
Jesus warns us about babbling prayers. It's not about saying magic words or the right phrase or about repeating a mantra to make things happen. It's, it's not that prayer has more power in a cathedral or a country church or even in a closet. And that sort of thinking smacks of trying to gain power over God, manipulation, or trying to get a little more pull with the big guy upstairs. Jesus reminds us that our prayers are less about the words we speak and more about knowing that the God of heaven cares for you and wants you to draw near to him. The Lord's Prayer itself is often by itself prayed in repetition. It's a good prayer to pray, but even the Lord's Prayer can be misused to impress others and repeated to get God to cooperate. When the Lord's Prayer With the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is telling us, do not pray like the babbling pagan, because we do not believe in that kind of God. Well, who do we believe in? We believe in a God who cares deeply about us, who already knows our needs. The simple words are enough. Prayer is more about relationship than the specific practice of speaking words to God. So beware of words over relationship. Now, onto the last warning that Jesus gave, and that is beware of withheld forgiveness. Verses 14 and 15 are, are very startling words that should bother and scare us. If I refuse to forgive someone, I, I can't be forgiven? That seems to be what it's saying. And, and what we should read there is that forgiveness is serious business. Refusal to forgive will affect your prayer life. It will affect you personally. A person who is bitter and refuses to forgive lives life clogged up. Have you ever seen someone like that? They're just, they're, there's, there's just this constant, uh, it's, it's stuck inside their being, this anger, and, and it affects everything about who they are. They may not even realize it. And there is a tension, a pressure, a blockage that never goes away, and it becomes a barrier to, the, to enjoyment and to blessing. And forgiveness affects our relationships with others. It, if you're refusing to forgive someone, that refusal to forgive will even affect relationships with people not involved with the conflict. Because the people not involved will feel the bitterness that you have from the lack of forgiveness, just as much as they will feel the blessing of lightened hearts from people who practice forgiveness. I now I say all this understanding that there are wounds, there are hurts, there are abuses and betrayals that run deep. Forgiveness is not saying, you know, that wrong thing that happened is now okay. It's not saying that the injustice is gone. It's that it's all over. But please, this is serious. Unwillingness on your part to forgive someone that's wronged you is just as damaging to you as it is to the trespasser. And so Jesus links forgiveness and its lack of forgiveness as having a deep impact on us and our prayers. So with that, let's go to the Lord's Prayer. And let's read it from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, and on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's short, it's simple, and direct. 
It is a model for our prayer time with God. A simple way to remember this model for prayer is to break it into five parts. This is often called the five-fingered prayer, and it goes like this. It starts with the name, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This line does many things at once. Prayer is personal. It's a privilege. It's telling us. It's reminding us that it's a personal thing because we're calling out Father. And being able to address God as Father shrinks the distance between us and God. He is now approachable. Yet God is also spoken of as being in heaven. There is awe, respect, and honor in this address. His name is set apart and holy. We're not, a treat, we're not to treat the holy as common. Exodus chapter 3 verse 5 reminds us of this as Moses encounters God at the burning bush. He's, he's trying to figure out what's happening in this burning bush and he realizes he, he's now in the presence of God and the voice of God comes in the bush and says, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. It is different here than it was a few steps further down the mountain. There should be awe, respect, worship, and glory. Do we understand the privilege we have to call God Father? Do we set his name apart as holy? Or do we make his name so common that he is now a bargain commodity? Prayer calls us to honor the name. Second part of the prayer, that second finger, if you will, is the will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray God's kingdom, come, we are asking for the consummation of God's purposes in history. We pray expecting that someday the waiting will end our battle with the temptation and sin. Yet we also pray knowing that victory is already achieved. Sin is already defeated through the cross of Christ. God's kingdom is at hand. When we pray God's kingdom come, we are identifying that we are participating in a world ultimately ruled by God. And when we pray your kingdom come, we're also saying my kingdom go. Put it another way, knowing God's will starts with surrendering our will. When God's rule is acknowledged, his will is done. And so prayer calls us to be under God's rule and his future. Third finger, the bread. Give us today our daily bread. You would think such a simple phrase would be easy to interpret, but this is not what scholars are. This is one that, that scholars argue over. It can be equally translated as today's bread or the next day's bread. And many pastors, church leaders, and figures in history thought that this represented spiritual bread. Give us today the what we need to survive spiritually. I think it's physical bread. And I think, give us today this, our daily bread, is a phrase that represents all that we need to survive today. God cares for the whole person, not just the soul, and he is the provider of all that we need. Give us this day, our daily bread covers all that we need to get through the day. One phrase expands into so much, and yet it also limits us. It's only our daily needs that are petitioned for. Often we come to God with our priorities, our desires, what we think is most important in the world, what we want. But give us this day, our daily bread puts God in charge of our needs. This prayer for bread equals dependence upon God. Humanity likes to be independent. 
And the Lord's Prayer again asks us to take our proper place in the cosmological order. Prayer calls us to trust and depend upon God. Fourth finger, the forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. There's that word forgiveness again, the one that Jesus gave extra teaching about. Forgiveness is so important that it needs to be a part of our prayer language. When we're willing to forgive others, we're willing to relinquish the false power that we try to wield over others. That word relinquish is important. It's an important part of forgiveness. As long as we refuse to forgive, we're trying to hold some sort of power, some sort of control, some sort of, of, of weight over others. Forgiveness is another way to receive the daily provisions of God. Eugene Peterson uh, links that prayer for the, the part of the prayer for daily bread to uh, grace. And, and he actually connects it to John 3.16. He says, you know, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He describes one of the qualities of sin is that it is anti-grace, anti-gift. And when, when we sin, we take instead of give. So P- Peterson writes this prayer about forgiveness and daily bread and grace. He, he writes this. I think it's a wonderful little prayer. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our failure to keep honest accounts with our neighbors. Forgive us for refusing the gifts that are given and stealing what is not ours to have. Forgive us for using the gift of language to deceive. Forgive us to use the gift of sexuality to deceive. Prayer calls us to equally embrace forgiveness and to give forgiveness to others. The fifth arm of the prayer, fifth finger, is the battle. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. A common Jewish prayer from the time of Christ was simply this, bring me not into the power of sin, and not into the power of guilt, and not into the power of temptation, and not into the power of anything shameful. This is a prayer Asking God to be the one who is our strength and the one who leads our steps. And it says the same thing when we say, lead us not into temptation. We're not saying, God, don't tempt me. We're saying, God, be our strength through temptation. Lead us away from it. The Lord's Prayer begins by recognizing the holy name of God. And it ends by asking the Holy Father to protect us from the evil one. For all that we bring to God in prayer, this is perhaps one of the most important needs we can pray for. Prayer calls us to locate our strength in God for the battles that we face in life. So there we have it. The name, the will, the bread, the forgiveness, and the battle. So what's the purpose? Each time I come back to the Lord's Prayer, I am reminded that my priorities are essential to prayer. When my priorities are out of balance, my prayers are out of balance. When I am full of worry, my prayers seem to echo that worry, wondering if God will even answer. When I am in a hurry, my prayers are just as hurried, bending to my own schedule and needs instead of to God's plan. The Lord's Prayer asks us to reset our priority. The Lord's Prayer has a specific order to it. Did you notice that? It begins not with me, but with the holiness of God. It does not demand my will be carried out, but God's will to be done. 
My wants are not a part of this prayer, but I'm invited to depend upon God for my needs. I'm asked to relinquish grudges and embrace forgiveness. And lastly, I am to depend on God for the battle. Jesus is teaching us about prayer, but he's also asking us to listen to our prayers. If we listen, we will hear the priorities of our heart. Our prayers tell us who rules over our lives. In the end, prayer is just as much for you and me as it is for God. The Lord's Prayer is asking us to orient ourselves properly before God, to realize that we are precious to God and that we are to depend upon God. When we pray, we deliberately declare, it is not about me, it's about you, Lord. So we turn off the noise of the world and we spend some time focused on the King of creation. If you want to have better prayers, yes, it's about relationship, but prayers are healthier when we position ourselves humbly before the Holy God of the universe. Let us pray. Holy God, I want to take a minute and to give you glory and honor. You are holy. Father, we confess that we often want our will to be first, but today I declare that your will shall be first in my life and hopefully in all of our lives. Lord, thank you for providing abundance. And help us to realize how much we depend upon you. Help me to forgive others and not hold a grudge. Lord, watch over the ways of my heart and keep me from the attacks of the enemy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go with Jesus.